Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. I'm excited for what the Lord has to say to us today. Um, even, even in uh, our time offering right there, uh, that prayer, I can't be more true for everybody here. I really hope that even in the word today, that God works on your heart uniquely. Because I can, I can give you a, a warm, soft, nice message in a cup with an umbrella. I could give you a whooping. I could do whatever. But it doesn't matter if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart. So this morning, uh, Father God, we invite you, Holy Spirit, we invite you to work on our heart, to show us how to love you better. That is our goal in this life, and to forward the kingdom, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so um, as you guys see, this sermon slide is uh, we the holy priesthood, much like we the people, Yeah? Well, then put yourself in that mindset, we the holy priesthood. But let's back up and let's get started here on just simply the basics. Let's start to the core of where we all started. And that's John 3.16. God so loved the world, gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Last week, Eric talked about life or death. You either have eternal life or you have eternal death. Man, I don't want eternal death. I want eternal life because I get to live with Jesus. Hold on. But because you get to live with Jesus, not because you get to live forever, but because you get to live forever with Jesus. There's a heart situation there again. So that being said, I brought you good news. I bring you good news. You have the opportunity to live forever with Jesus. That's a big deal. And if you're a believer here today, maybe, maybe you're not so sure. Maybe you're here to, man, I'm, I'm seeking something divine. I'm, I, you know, there's nothing in this world I'm finding, so I'm trying out this church. Well, good. Uh, like I said, I brought you the good news. Now, if you believe in that good news and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you now have become a believer. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. Yes. Yes, that's exciting. Well, hold on. What happens when you get redeemed? Is that it? Do you stop there? I'm redeemed. I'm awesome. Because Jesus made me awesome. And man, I'm good. Woo, I'm special. I am the best. Here's the deal. That happened for me. I think early on when I got saved, I had this belief in myself you're like, well, Ryan, that's wrong. Yes, of course it is, but it's easy because when you hear all this exciting thing, all these exciting things in Scripture about whom you are, a child of God, that's a big deal. But I never really wanted to read a co-heir with Christ, and then I certainly didn't want to continue to read and realize if you want to be a co-heir, you're also going to share in His suffering. Whoa! Hit the brakes. I'm not interested in that. I just got saved and set free. <laughs> Jesus, you guys told me he paid it all. I don't need suffering. Well, my friend, it's a process. It's actually, that is the beauty. I love that every single, if we all for the rest of our life put all of our brain power and, and our belief and our hearts into studying the word of God, we still wouldn't figure it out. Because there's that much depth. 
And that's why it's interesting. That's why it's exciting. But I want to pull a little more depth out of the day you said yes to Jesus. The day you said yes to Jesus, you uh, are able to move forward from this point to saying yes to Jesus to going to the Father and becoming a son and a co-heir or a daughter, a co-heir with Christ. So how is that possible? Is there anything good in you, the question is. There's a really fast answer. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, in fact, there's no good in this earth except for Jesus. Okay, so some of you said amen, not everybody, because some of us believe that, no, there's some good in the world, it's just not as good as Jesus. No, let me tell you, believer, if you want to be a believer, there's no good in the world except for Jesus in it. He is the hope of the world. That's a big deal. That being said, we'll get back on track here. When we said yes to, to the blood of Jesus, we get pulled into a new covenant, Oh, let me hit the brakes for a second. Again, you've heard Eric teach about, break, uh, uh, about covenants a lot. Covenants have a lot of depth to them. They're not simple. It's not a, hey, I've said yes, and I'm, it's, it's a yes and done. When I got married to Hannah, it wasn't just that day at the altar, and then it's all over. It's taken care of. I said yes at the altar. That's it. Oh, no, my friend. The work has just begun. And guess what? Does it ever stop? No. The work never stops. Because I'm learning new ways to love my wife all the time. As we should be learning new ways to love Christ all the time. Because we said yes to a covenant. Not just to be saved. I didn't just say yes to being saved. I said yes to a covenant. A covenant requires certain behaviors. So what behavioral changes happened when you got saved? Well, man, I, you know, I, I stopped looking at pornography and I stopped swearing and stopped drinking and so I'm good. <laughs> so yes, that is good and those things definitely need to stop. But hold on, there's more than that. Because it's not the things that I don't do. So for example, well, uh, my wife would not be pleased if all I did was, hey, Hannah, I, I stopped looking at other women. That's, I did it. I stopped looking at other women. You got to be happy with that. No, she wants me to look at her and spend all my energy. So it's not do I stop going this way, but now not. I, so if I stop looking at other women, I'm right here. But if I go towards my wife and pursue my wife in this covenant I said yes to, I'm going this way finally. So I didn't just stop going that way. I am actually moving this way now. You have to be doing that in your relationship. When you said yes to the blood of Jesus, you said yes to moving that way with him. What is the cost? What is the cost? Everything. Who? come on, there's some light. Thank you, Lord. Everything. So, I want to give you an idea. Real quick, I, this is an important one. So the cost is big. It's really good. It's really awesome. I told you I thought I was special when I got saved. Then pretty soon, I asked, after, after Pastor Eric, like every week would be like, no, listen, apart from Jesus, you are just dis, a despicable wretch, a worm. But with Jesus, you're given identity, your real identity, your true identity. Not what this world has called you, but what he calls you. And we live in a new way. However, I only have that identity because of him. 
So I want to read you a concept. In this, I want to really push against uh, pride in your life. I'm not a prideful person, Ryan. Yeah, but it's really easy to become prideful when you believe you're something special to Jesus. Well, hold on. Some of y'all in this room don't like that I just said, it's easy to be prideful when you think you're something special to Jesus. Well, I'm his favorite. Listen, listen. Uh, Okay, he does love you. He loves you a lot. But that gospel is dangerous because then you think you're something special. And let me tell you, you're really not something special. Whew, Ryan, come on, get off the stage. I don't want to hear that. Here's an idea. This is from a, from a, a young theologian named Nathan Finocchio. It says, God gets nothing out of being in relationship with us. Some of you want to throw me off the stage right now. I know it. God gets nothing out of being in relationship with us. We don't add to his life at all. He is perfectly satisfied in his triune relationship and needs nothing. God doesn't need anything. We need to understand that. He has no needs. But he delights in us, and he loves us, and he rejoices over us. But he doesn't get anything or need anything from us. In fact, quite the opposite, it costs him everything to love us. Now, I hope if you, if you can receive that without getting upset, you'll be humbled. And if you're humbled, you'll realize, oh my goodness, God essentially got nothing out of this deal. He got me as a son, but, and he got you as a daughter, but at the end of the day, he didn't need it. He wants you. He loves you. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the God of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the I am, and I always have been, and I always will be. He wanted you. That's interesting. Doesn't need you, but he wants you. That's powerful. So it excites me to say, wow, if a God says yes to me and essentially is getting nothing out of the deal, boy, this must be the God, the one and only God, and he must actually be love. He doesn't just have love, he is love. He is the source of love. That's a big deal. So, uh, like I said, the idea of covenant. When you said yes to Jesus, you walk into covenant. Covenant is based on your behaviors. It's not based on contractual law. That's when Jesus came. He didn't do away with the laws, but he came to fulfill all the laws. And he puts us into a love relationship. Now those laws are written on our heart. Now I want to do one other, one other concept. And this concept, I think, works best for us. Man, I have been here so many times in my faith, and it's so sad and silly. But I wanted to cohabit with God. What is cohabiting? Cohabiting is living together as, uh, as a couple that should be married, but you're not married. And so you cohabit with that person. Now, if you're cohabiting and you're in this room, I'm sorry, it's uncomfortable, but listen, Scripture's telling you to get married, so if you love that person, get married. That's the deal. I've done a lot of cohabiting marriages where I'm like, hey, I love you so much, I want you to get married, stop cohabiting, because you are actually going to establish the institution uh, of God, because marriage was instituted by God himself, because it's an image of covenant, and he's trying to train you on covenant. Marriage is a really awesome learning opportunity. (laughs) So cohabiting, (laughs) it's true, true, say the least. Okay, so cohabiting... I'm in this for what I can get. And if I don't get that, 
There's no covenant to hold me here. Other than, well, I'm a good person, so I'll stay. But there's nothing there. You didn't make a, a proclamation in front of God and people. You just simply are there to get the best for yourself. Well, no, Ryan, I'm not. If that were true, you'd say yes to a covenant. So what is a covenant? A covenant says for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I'm here, sweetheart. And what does that mean? No matter if you love me, I will love you. That is what God said when he died for you on the cross. He said, no matter if you love me, I will love you. Ooh, if you can get that. Hold on, though. You're in the covenant, so I want you to get that in reverse. I, I had this moment, uh, and man, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but it just really broke for me. It's just one saved, always saved mentality. In that mentality, sometimes you might believe that you're not actually saved because you're like, well, maybe I'm, st- I'm struggling with some sin or maybe I don't know, and you get some goofy theology and you start believing funny things, and then you might believe that, man, I love God, but I might not be saved because of this goofy theology. Well, in that moment, I said, you know what, regardless, because I said yes to this covenant, so even if Jesus doesn't say yes to me, I'd say yes to Jesus. That was another breaking point for humility in my life. For the longest time, I was in it to get, to get God loves me. So he gives me identity. He makes me feel good. He's going to save me. I don't have to die. I, me, me, I, 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 e, oh, oh, I can walk in the streets that are golden. I can, I, 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 I. What are you talking about? You said yes to a covenant. How would that work if you treated your relationship with God, if you treated a wife like that, a husband like that? It doesn't work. You are there to love regardless. That's a big deal. But if you see this covenant like that, things change. Your love for God changes. He's now your focus. Not you and what you can get out of a relationship with God. It's what can I give to God today and tomorrow and in this next breath, what can I give to God? And in this next inhale, in this next exhale, what can I give to God? That's what it's got to be. How many of you know what a sucky marriage looks like when you're in it to get for you or when the other person's in it to get for you or for them, themselves? This is a big deal. So, let me ask you a couple questions here. What is your behavior now that you have been saved and set free? Does your new covenant behavior line up with scripture? Or does it line up with some scripture? Now, I like all the exciting uh, stuff that the, 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 the preachers that tell me how beautiful I am and how special I am and that I'm God's favorite. I like that gospel. But when I come to Destiny Church and Ryan's like, no, listen, you're not very special. And in fact, it costs God everything to love you. Well, I, that, those scriptures, they can stay in a closet somewhere because I want this gospel, not that gospel. No, you need both gospels. You've got to have both gospels because I want to be a whole person loving God with all that I am. Okay, so here we go. Here we're finally, that was the opening. We're finally here. We're ready to rock and roll. All right, so the scripture for us that we're going to hit and go after, now we're going to get this idea. Ryan, you're talking about covenant. You haven't talked about a priesthood or whatever that is at all yet. Here we are. So turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 is what we're reading this morning. 
All right, here it is. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to click for you. I promise that. It will click by the end of the day. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans. Who was rejected by humans? Who was re- rejected by the Jews? Jesus was rejected. So he's the living stone. But chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Cool, but stop reading unless you want to do some work. If you want to sit on your butt and feel cool about yourself, say, man, I'm a holy priesthood, end quote. But no, we actually got to keep reading because we believe in all of scripture, not some scripture. Offering spiritual sacrifices and actually, this word's really important too, acceptable to God. Not just offering spiritual sacrifices, but acceptable spiritual sacrifices. Whew. All right, so you are holy priesthood. Yeah? Can you be like, hmm, no, Ryan, that scripture, that's for, um, that's for the Catholics and the priests, the Catholic priests. That, that's not for the, <laughs> it's not for me, man. I just come to a church. I'm sorry, but this is New Testament. And in the New Testament, you're the priest. You're the priest. So do you see yourself as a holy priest? The word holy also is very important. Who is the holy one? He's talked about in the Old Testament thousands of years before he comes. The holy one. Holy is similar to anointed. So the word means set apart. Holy is set apart or unique. You're a set apart priest. So, do you see yourself as a holy priest? Do you still have a Catholic view of the church? I'm up here preaching the gospel. Does that make me a priest and you a layman? Is that the phrase, a layman? Scrap that. Literally take it out of your pocket, throw it in the trash. We'll burn that trash later. That's crazy. If you do that, you will be an ineffective lover of Jesus. Wait, Ryan, you mean I'll be ineffective in like working around here? No, you'll be an ineffective lover of Jesus. That one that it cost him everything and he essentially gets nothing out of the deal except for you. And he does, and you have some things to offer to him, but he doesn't need those things. He just wants those things. Let's scrap this layman talk Throw that in the garbage and know that every single one of you, if you're a believer, you're a priest. Okay, so maybe this is a new, this is actually kind of new information to me to some extent. I have worked in a church now for 10 years, um, but that doesn't mean I got scripture and that doesn't mean it clicked for me and that doesn't mean that I had a lot of other things out there that my eyes were on, but no, I have looked at this scripture and said, oh my goodness, I am the priesthood. You are the priesthood. We are the priesthood. Every believer, a leader. Come on. So anyway, let's keep moving here. I want to give you the concept, because you can say, okay, cool, priest, I don't know really what that means. I don't know what to do with that. Let's go to, I I preached a sermon last night to Davina, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I have been uh, forging in her theology 
which I regret. I wish my parents would have forged theology in me. They did in certain areas, but not nearly as intense as I'd like it. Plus, Davina really absorbs it well and enjoys it, so it's fun. So I said, what is the priest, Davina, or who are the priests? And she was like, well, like, you know, I, I'm not a priest because I don't, I don't work at the church. I said, what do, you, what do you mean, though? I said, hold on, hold on, let's stop there. So let's go back in time to when the tabernacle existed. She knows the tabernacle is. It's wonderful. And I said, let's go to the tabernacle. Who are the priests? They're holy, set-apart people that are unique, and they, not you, not the lay people, right, in this concept in the Old Testament, not the lay people, but the priests go in to the holy place and then into the holy of holies, but when Jesus died, what happened to the veil? It was tore. It's the veil, if you don't know, I'm sorry if you don't know, in the tabernacle there's a big veil that blocks it so you can't see into there because you aren't holy at this point in time and you're making sacrifices for the forgiveness of your sins. You're, you're killing uh, thousands of dollars a week for forgiveness of sin, of livestock. Now, on the veil, it, it, this is exciting. This, isn't, this is beside the sermon, but on the veil, what's on the veil? Two angels with flaming swords. What blocked the garden? Two angels, flaming swords. That is Tor. And you now have access to the Holy Holies because you said yes to the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that covers all of time. It covers all of your sin for all of time. And it makes your, it washes your wool white as snow. Davina said, uh, blood would stain the wool, right, uh, dad. Blood, that's not, that doesn't work. I said, yeah, it, it will eventually. We'll just, let's hang with it. So, if we're gonna be there, now we see, you're getting some imagery. What did those priests do? We'll keep this simple. I'm not gonna go crazy on this depth because this is a whole sermon. Eric preached a sermon on this, the Holy Holies. You should go find that sermon and hit it hard because you're gonna find a lot of identity in it because you're now the priest. What's the job for you? To go in to the Holy of Holies. What do you do when you get into the Holy of Holies? You minister to the Lord. You worship so what is your primary duty if you want to accept your identity in Christ? What's your primary duty? To minister to the Lord. Then, secondary, minister to people. You must first minister to the Lord, then you minister to people. This is a big deal. This is your identity. I'm not making this up. I'm not saying this for me because I'm up here preaching. I'm saying every single person in this room, your job as a priest, because you are now a priest, if you want John 3.16, that's exciting news, but it's a covenant relationship. And if you actually want to express love towards God, you walk as a priest and you minister to the Lord and then you minister to people. Come on. Come on. Okay, so we covered a, a holy priest, a set-apart priest. As we saw back in the day, now that's us. So let's get to this other part of the scripture where it said um, offering spiritual sacrifices. Wasn't the shed blood of the lamb sacrifice enough for all time? Well, it was for sin. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about spiritual sacrifices in your life. What are spiritual sacrifices? Number one, worship. 
We worship with our soul, we worship with our mind, we worship with our body. We don't stop there. What, what do we do with those things, that tripart, we're, we're made in God's image, that's why it's a three-part being, our, our, our soul, mind, body. So with that, we, um, we work with that. We raise finances. So we worship God, it's a heart issue with our finances. We worship God with where we are working at, our careers. Sometimes that career identity can have you. You don't have it. And it takes away from your identity in Christ as a priest. You think you're some financial advisor, or you're some doctor, or lawyer, or whatever, man, mechanic, and that is who I am. No, that's what you do, but you're a holy priest, first and foremost, if you said yes to the covenant with Jesus. So, but we still, with those careers, because I'm a priest, I came in to work on cars today, but I am a representative of heaven in this place. So as I work on cars, I will slowly ooze out the love of Jesus all around me. That's it. That's a big deal. So, fight careers with your time and your talents. So, talents is a big one. We're going to get to that. Uh, I'm going to say gifts is what we'll call that. But with your time, who? Goodness gracious, if I could go back to when I was a young man and get all my time back and give it to the Lord, I would be, I think I'd look different, man. I think if I'd like, I'd have to look better for some, I, I wasted so much time. I've watched The Office like the, the, all nine seasons like 20 plus times, just a free moment. We're relaxing, oh, you'd be really entertaining to watch The Office. So you click play in The Office. That's time you gave and offered up you sacrificed some of your time for what? Well, for an episode of The Office. Whoa, whoa. I, I'm happy somebody's saying preach. Some of y'all are like, shut your mouth, man. <laughs> this is why I, I, I'm, whenever you guys think I'm being hard on you, I'm actually being hard on me. This has been a problem in my life. I, I finally cut out, like I, I really love strategy video games too. I've cut way back on that in my life. You're like time limit stuff. Um, but even that, if it wasn't that, it was out in the woods chopping trees down or working in the shop and, and doing something exciting. All those things, if I'm not doing them with the Lord, which specifically I think I can work in the shop with the Lord, it's kind of hard for me to play video games with the Lord. It just doesn't work for me. But... Uh, <laughs> I, it was time spent, not spent on the Lord. And time is limited. Your life is but a vapor. I mean, pretty soon, you're going to be really old. And then it's going to be, you're like, whoa, hey, as Eric said, death's no longer behind me, now it's in front of me. And I look back and think, man, what did I do with my life? Well, you can't change that, so focus on today. Live in today. Don't live in the tomorrow, necessarily. Live in the moment, and give God all that you have. So that right there is some worship to the Lord. I worship God with my time, my free time, intentionally. Now, uh, spiritual disciplines also go along with this. What kind of, what are spirit, this is, this is actually the cream of the crop for me. It's not so much just worshiping God. I think a lot of believers worship the Lord, but not a lot of believers are interested in actual uh, discipline, spiritual disciplines. Because worshiping the Lord is really fun. Don't you have like an exciting time up here dancing around, feeling good? It's fun. I'll get more undignified if I have to. Come on. But 
Spiritual disciplines are the thing that's like, whoop, this is again, hit the brakes, not interested in this kind of gospel. I want the happy, clappy, fun and dancey. Come on. No. Fasting and prayer. Some of you just threw up a little bit in your mouth thinking about fasting and prayer. (laughs) No thanks. No, fasting and prayer is awesome. It brings you close to the Lord. It reminds you how much you need God. That's the point of fasting food is that, whoa, I feel like I'm starving right now. If you're not eating the bread of life, you should feel like you're starving. Welcome to the reminder of starving yourself of the bread of life. Come on. Uh, so that's a big deal. Fasting's big. Prayer's big. I'm not, I don't like prayer. No, you have to like prayer. That's an important thing. Now, your prayer doesn't have to look like the wild, the wild prayer. There's some people that really are good at praying. I have never believed myself to be good at praying. Um, I, but listen, it doesn't matter because I'm talking to the Lord. And I think part of my struggle of not feeling like I was good at praying was because I just didn't spend my time with the Lord. I spent my time with other things. And then when it was time to be with the Lord, I kind of showed up and was like, I, I think I know you, Lord. Who are you again? Please don't say depart from me. I never knew you because I spent all my life uh, watching The Office. But uh, uh, I want to pray. Well, get to know God. It'll be easy to pray. Okay, confession and submission. You're like, Ryan, you told me this isn't a Catholic church. Confession isn't just held up. That word is not trademarked by the Catholic church. And uh, I'm not necessarily a big fan of how it happens there, but I am a big fan of confession. And I do think it's important to confess. Scripture tells us it's important to confess. It's really awesome and good for you. You need to confess. No, Ryan, people would think less of me. No, I think less of you because you don't confess anything, actually. I know you have struggles. You're just unwilling to tell me those struggles. I'll tell you my struggles. Let's confess together and grow together in spiritual discipline. Uh, Submission. This is a huge one. Uh, Submitting to authority in your life. Uh, Actually, 1 Peter talks a lot about submission. And uh, this is the idea where you have never submitted unless you had to disagree with somebody. Well, I would, of course I'd submit. Really, when was the last time you submitted? Well, we, we did this project last week and I agreed. No, you agreed, you didn't submit. To submit is saying, I disagree, I may even believe this is a bad idea, but I submit to your authority in my life. That's a big deal. Because if you can't do it with uh, somebody around you, how are you going to do it with the Lord when he tells you something hard? This is why parents, you need to discipline your kids. Teach them how to submit because you're teaching them a relationship with God. And if you don't teach them discipline, your kids are going to be undisciplined. And they won't be able to seek God's face. And you're going to be like, man, what happened to my kids? You're crazy. You never taught them discipline. You didn't teach them how to get on their knees and pray to God and humble themselves. This is a big deal for me. Again, this is something I missed as a kid, and I'm a little irked about it, if you can't tell. (laughs) My parents did the best they could. I'll say this. I love my parents. But man, they should have whooped me a little more. That's the deal. Okay, so hold on. Here we go. Spiritual disciplines remind us on our, uh, uh, all these spiritual disciplines remind us we are dependent on God. Here's the most important thing. If you've heard anything, listen to this, write it down. Every acceptable spiritual sacrifice has a divine response. Let that settle. You need to run the numbers in your life. What have I been doing for the gospel? What kind of sacrifices have I given? Where is the divine response? 
when Levi steps up here and says, hey, uh, what was it? Uh, was it two months ago or one month ago? Two months ago. <laughs> two. Two months ago. And says, hey, we're doing this thing. There is a divine response. God showed up. God's going to show up there too. What's happening in your life? What's happening? What's the fruit? When I say, hey, uh, what's God doing in your life? What are you reading? What's the breakthrough you have? You'd say, well, here it is. Because there's a divine response because you've implemented spiritual disciplines. If you have no response, it's because you have no discipline in your life. You have no spiritual uh, sacrifice for God. There's no divine response. I'll tell you, God's as consistent to respond to every acceptable spiritual sacrifice. He's as consistent to respond to that as he is to, uh, to not accept unacceptable spiritual sacrifices. What is that? Let's go back to Genesis. Uh, two brothers, you remember the two brothers? It's two brothers. One had an offering, the other one had an offering. God rejects one offering. Cain and Abel, of course, is what I'm talking about. God is consistent to reject when you show up half-heartedly. Oh, I got like five seconds. I got to throw this out there. I saw this the other day. Uh, Robert Morris said this. Uh, 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 Laodicea, they're talking to this uh, place. I'm trying to think, what's the scripture? It's the lukewarm scripture. If you're, uh, I'd rather you be hot or cold rather than lukewarm. So everybody thinks cold means like a non-believer. You couldn't be more wrong. I'm really sorry. God's not interested in you being a cold believer. He's actually referring to you drinking cold water or hot water. I don't want lukewarm water. So refreshing or warming, not you're a non-believer cold. I'd rather you be a non-believer. God would never say that. So it's really an interpretation thing I've had wrong for years. So anyway, there you go. This is a big deal. He's not going to accept a lukewarm response. He wants you to be refreshingly cold or warmingly warm. Come on. Some hot coffee or ice cold tea. Jeremy Lewis, where you at? Some iced tea. I don't want that lukewarm tea when you brought it to me hot and you just threw a few. You know, that's the deal. So, okay, um, I got to move fast, real fast. I got to ask you guys, what is your identity? It continues and Peter says, but you are a chosen people. This is you. This isn't the priest. It's not this, this, the pastors. It's you, everybody here. You, have, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. The one, sorry, once you were not a people, but now you have an identity. You are a people, it says. Once... You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He sits on the mercy seat. Thank God. So here's the deal. We will never get to our destiny unless we understand our identity. You're not getting where you're going thinking that all it is is uh, the blood of Jesus, I'm good. The John 3.16, and I'm good. No, if you really want to be a son or a daughter, a co-heir with Christ, you got to implement some disciplines in your life. You got to love God. You got to accept your identity as a holy priest. Uh, this is a fun idea. A lot of us, I think our first world problem um, is nailed down like this. Many believers simply come to a church to be entertained. 
Uh, Michael Creighton, if you don't know Michael Creighton, he's the author of Jurassic Park. You're like, why are you quoting him? Because he says something profound, that's why. Uh, In other centuries, human beings wanted to be saved or improved or freed or educated. But in our century, they just want to be entertained. You know why? Because they've been all those things. They've been liberated. And now for freedom, you've been set free. What are you going to do with your freedom? Are you going to just dive deep into that entertainment? Or are you going to dive deep into your identity as a holy priest and serve God? This is the difference between a, co- a consumer and a contributor. We want to contribute to the gospel not just show up on a Sunday morning to consume and then consume all week other things and then and I'd be like, well, man, the, you know, this church doesn't have an LED wall yet, so it's not quite as cool. And if I'm a consumer, I'm gonna go where there's better lights and cooler things and more services and a bigger room and, a, and well, it wasn't hot enough in here today. It wasn't cool enough in here. That is crazy. If you show up and something's wrong, it's your duty to do something about it because you are a priest, You're not a lay person. You're not here to be entertained. We're here to go somewhere together as the priesthood. Come on. So, um, yes, I love it. Last thing. I only have a few minutes and I got this. I got this. I'm excited. Okay, so I hope I've inspired you a little bit to become a priest, to accept your identity as a priest. I hope so. That's a big deal. What do you have to offer That's the question you should ask yourself. If I'm a priest, I've noticed that there's a, a spiritual gift mix. There's, there's, there's gifts and there's anointings. Scripture's pretty clear about that. That is what you have to offer. I asked Davina, I said, Davina, are you as good at, um, or I said this, Davina, we all know uh, you're really good at cleaning, but are you as good as, I can't even remember what I said to her about liberty. She goes, no, liberty's better at that. that that's really, Yes. That's important that you understand that Liberty should do that. She's good at it. You should do this because you're good at it. If you guys work together, we can really do something. But if you both show up and want me to do it all for you, it's going to get pretty crappy real quick because I'm not talented at that or that. And so I'm going to try to do both. And then you guys want, it's not going to work. I'm not juggling balls here. We all have our own thing we bring and we do because we are the priesthood. So uh, here's the ideas. It's gifts and anointings. What is a gift? A gift is an irrevocable thing from God. Whether you live like hell or heaven, whether you live holy or or just just immoral, you have that gift. God's a good God. He's not going to take that away. However, if you want to accept your identity as a priest, there's anointing for you. There is no anointing for you if you don't accept your identity as, as a priest. Again, this might be a theological thing for you. You might not like that I just said that. Uh, look it up. Do the studying. It's a big deal. It's really important. Uh, it's, this anointing is a deep subject, but let me just emphasize it and make it simple here. Um, uh, I'll say it like this. Jesus is anointed. He is the Holy One. We are to be holy as he is holy. So you are to be anointed. And anointings are only for the priesthood, like I said, but an anointing can be removed from you. I don't like that. Yes, Saul didn't like that either. Let me tell you, he lost his mind when he found out he was no longer the anointed king and that David was the anointed king. That's a big deal. But he got it removed because he didn't steward that well. 
You need to steward your, your life well. And there, there's something much greater about the anointing than there is the gift. The anointing is a special, awesome thing that I get to really, like, I only operate in it because I'm giving it to God. But boop, your gift is here, and it's cool, and it's important to use, but this anointing flows up towards heaven. I bring heaven. Come on. That's a big deal. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I, I can't spend too much time there, but um, what you might have left at home is those gifts and anointings if you came as a layperson rather than a priest. If you came as a consumer rather than a contributor, you don't need anything. It's uh, so many times I have showed up or I've been in a situation, you break down on the road, and how many times do you think, man, I, I okay, so for me, I have thought, I have every tool in existence almost, but they're all at home. They're not right here on the side of the road, and now I'm using this dumb wrench that the manufacturer sent with me that doesn't really work well, and this jack that takes a thousand years to move, and I will grow old before this tire gets changed. It's crazy. At home, I got a beautiful jack. I got an electric Im- DeWalt electric impact. Come on, baby. It's a blah, 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 blah. I'm like a NASCAR team at the house, but on the side of the road, I left all those tools at home. So guess what I do? You guys will, you'll be like, whoa. I bring my impact gun with me when I go places. I have even brought my jack with me when I go places on long trips because I am not about to get stuck without these things. I'm gonna bring them with me. So that's, that's, this is it. This is the challenge. Um, I wanna share a story with you. This story here is, uh, it's about identity. This whole thing is about you accepting your identity as a holy priest. And uh, you kind of have to grow up to do this. When I was about uh, six years old, I was about, I should say, it was early, early in that time. Actually, I was five. I, can, I know for a fact I was five. I was five years old. My dad put me in charge of uh, chickens at the farm. I was five years old. You're too young to be in charge of chickens, Ryan. No, listen, you need to put your children in charge of things and let them fail. It's good for them to fail. It, it will fuel them to do great things. Because I'm about to tell you, when I was five, I was in charge of chickens. A banny hen was sitting on eggs. If you don't have a banny hen, it's a little, a little chicken. She's a brutal little chicken. She's a mean chicken. She's sitting on a bunch of eggs. We had used an old grain bin and uh, converted it into a uh, chicken coop. And uh, that was out in the woods a ways. So, you know, summer goes on, I'm having a good time. Well, like a week goes by. And then like a little longer than a week goes by. And dad says, how are the chickens doing? I said, oh, the chickens. (laughs) Dad walked out there with me. And uh, needless to say, no water. No water at all. Definitely no food. The chicks are all, they're still alive. This is the worst part. They're still alive. And they're like... There, and it like in my mind as if it happened yesterday I see those little chicks suffering because I didn't step up and do what I was supposed to do and it really upset me man they're chicks it doesn't matter let me tell you dime a dozen it doesn't matter but I didn't do what, what the father asked me to do and those little chicks all died. The banny hen, she flew out in the trees, and I don't think I ever saw her again. Rightfully so. Fair enough. So did my dad say, you stupid idiot. You're an idiot. You failed. You killed chickens. You're a failure. And just kidding. No, he didn't. My dad, 
My, my dad stumbled into like really profound things. There's no way he thought these things out. He totally stumbled into them, I promise you. <laughs> if he's watching, he knows what I'm talking about. Not but a few months later, I'm starting first grade, so I'm now six years old. It, it's October, it's fall, it's lambing season. I grew up on a sheep farm, so we had chickens and sheep. Dad says to me, hey son, something much more important, he doesn't say it like that, but he says, hey son, I need you to be in charge of these lambs. There's lambs that have been rejected by their mother. This happens pretty often where the mom just doesn't want the lamb for some reason. She'll either kill it or you take it away from her and now it's your lamb. After I just killed a bunch of chickens, dad says, here's a lamb. Something that when it grows up, it'll be worth two to 300 bucks versus a chicken that's worth like five bucks. Depending, I mean, there's inflation now, but uh, listen. <laughs> Dad says, take care of this lamb for me. What does that mean to a six-year-old boy? What does that look like? I said, all right, I, I'm, I can do this because I didn't forget that I killed a bunch of little chicks, man. I'm not gonna kill this lamb. I'm gonna accept my identity as this son that takes care of the sheep. And so I get up in the morning. I hate getting up in the morning. I still hate getting up in the morning. I wish, I, I wish there could be a thing where I could become a morning person. It just has never happened. But going at it, even as a young kid, I just, I'm not a morning person. Anyway, that, what that means is that those lambs must be fed early in the morning, in the afternoon, and then before you go to bed at night. And that's in Minnesota when it's negative 20 degrees out and windy and snowing and icy. Get up. Early in the morning, 6 a.m., wake up for a six-year-old. Go in the basement, get the milk, shake the milk. Get out there and feed that lamb. That lamb cannot miss a feeding, especially when they're young. They can't miss feedings. It's not good for them. They're not going to thrive. So I accepted that. Dad gave me more lambs. He gave me more sheep. And it's just so proud. It's, it is the gospel. Feed my sheep. But you have to accept your identity. Because if you don't show up to feed them, nobody's going to show up to feed them. They're going to perish. It's really simple, but man, it's the gospel. You have got to be the holy priesthood. Because if you don't show up, people perish. If you don't show up, this church doesn't work. That's what's wrong. Have you not asked yourself what's wrong with a church? Man, what's wrong with, I don't, I'm going to go do something else. This church is just, I just see problems. There's, uh, you know, those mega churches, I, I don't like those things. There's something wrong with the church. We need a new model for the church. Let's get a new model. Let's make this up. No, the only thing that's wrong with the church is that people don't see themselves as the priesthood. And then the church becomes this consumer thing where we have like an LED wall and a scene and I have to entertain you to even get you to show up because there's so many more things out there that are just much more entertaining. You don't even want to come to church anymore because you're like, I, well, I go there, I think I go there to, you know, it's fun to hang out. But man, today my game is on. The football game is on today. I, I got things to do. I got to mow this grass in summertime. I got to, you got to, you got so many things in this world, in this first world. But if you'd accept your identity as a priest, you'd show up and you'd feed the sheep. Come on. All right, let's pray. Stand with me. <clears throat> This morning, I, I, I want to charge you with a couple things before we pray. I charge you to no longer be, I charge us to no longer be simple believers, but become 
not just believers, but followers of Jesus and step into our identity as the priesthood, the holy set-apart priesthood so that we might walk in our anointings. Jesus. This morning, if this thing hits you at all, repent from the first world consumer mentality and start to participate in the gospel. Priests are on duty on Sunday morning and every day after. Come on. They bring acceptable spiritual sacrifices to the one who paid it all for them. Man, Miles hit it so perfect in that transition this morning. I don't have much to give. All the good deeds I could ever do, it doesn't matter. But I do have this, God, I'm gonna worship you. I'm gonna focus in on you. I'm gonna put myself aside for a minute and serve you and serve people. Jesus. Jesus. Do you see yourself as a holy priest? What spiritual sacrifices are you offering to God? And are you willing to sacrifice your desires, your self-centered nature, we all have it, to serve God and then people? Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Father God, I just invite you into our hearts so that something of this message might penetrate deep and change the way we see this world. As soon as we leave, we go back into this consumeristic first world. But might our eyes and our ears be changed to see right through it into the real, true identity that we are the sons and daughters, the co-heirs with Christ, a holy priesthood set apart to worship God and to serve the people. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There is none like you. Yes, God. Um, I want uh, uh, Connect Group leaders to come up to the front. We're going to have a time of prayer. If you, want to, if you want to go further with this, you say, man, there's something here for me. I want some breakthrough. I want, I want, to, do, I want to go further with this idea. Come up here and get some prayer. Come up here and get some prayer. Lee, I want you up here, and Ray, I want you up here as well. Come on. Marsha, come up here. Some of you, it may be an identity thing. If it's an identity thing, I want you to find one of the people I just called there. We got Ray, we got Marsha, we got Lee. Father God, we thank you. You're just doing something in our heart. You're doing something in this church. Can you guys not perceive that, man, there's stuff that's happening here. Whenever I see like, oh, this isn't just a perfect church. It's a very broken thing. That's great because churches, hospitals are for sick people. Churches are for sick people that need healing. But then as we get that, we step up. We claim our identity and we really do the gospel. I love it. Jesus, we thank you. Bless us today in your name. Amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast. 
your place for real, relevant relationships.